0: Um, We talked about the avenues of giving last Sunday. There were three avenues that I mentioned. The tithe, the offering, and the alms. And we learned Sunday, if you was paying attention, there's um, a motivation behind each one one of them. Uh, Each one of them demonstrates something that we're saying when we bring the tithe, we bring the offering, and we give the alms, and we have to have the proper attitude of all when we we tithe and we give offerings and we we give the alms. You know what an attitude is, huh? How many ever had an attitude? (laughs) Basically a bad attitude. But on the offerings particularly, an attitude of Cheerfulness, not grudgingly, not of necessity, but with a blessing. We have to have an attitude. While Brother Todd was uh, exhorting us just a while ago, I was thinking about what he was saying. I was going along with him. It made we, me want to to comfort somebody, to pray for somebody, to uh, extend the blessings of God to somebody, to have compassion on somebody as as he was reading those prayer requests. Have compassion on somebody that's asking for help, asking for prayer. You ever felt that? We need to have compassion for the alms because we're giving to people that can't help anybody. We're giving to a group of people, the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the innocents, the, the babies that are destined for abortion. So we need compassion. We need an attitude. The attitude of giving the tithe is just by faith. We just do it because God said it, but we know the blessings of coming through our giving of the tithe. The results, very interesting. On the three columns, if you can look at it later, the, ble- the results of the tithe, the results of the offering, and the results of the alms are three different things. You can't mix them. You can't substitute them. They go right down the line. So I encourage you to get this uh, or get the book. The chart is in the book. And I tell pastors, and I uh, say this to leadership, if you won't teach the tithe and the offerings and the alms, you're left to one other thing. And I put a fourth column for that. It's fundraising. How many knows fundraising is a chore? And I like it because I don't have to fundraise if I teach tithe offering in alms. You don't have to spend your time fundraising. Uh, Brother Todd, I was thinking about this on the way up here. Churches for the last few years would have uh, capital uh, campaigns do you, do they still do that? Is that right? I haven't heard of one, you know. Of course, I don't go to the churches. <laughs> but sometime I'd hear from the, the, the people that their church was doing a capital campaign. In other words, asking the people to sign on for the next year or two years to give so much a month extra to pay for the new building. And um, while that was going on a few years ago, when we went to build this building, I told the people, I said, you're tithers, just sit back and relax. I'm not going to come after you for raising funds. Just enjoy and see what the Lord is doing, will do, and we'll rejoice together. You just keep on tithing. How many people would like God to raise your tithe? That's a no-brainer. Because <laughs> that means he's going to flow more money through you. But don't be fooled. If you're not a tither now, it's no use for him to try to raise your tithe. Give you a little while to think about that. If you're not tithing on the dollar, why would we think you would tithe on a $100. In fact, the scripture says, he that is faithful in little will be faithful in much. So we have to qualify, even if you don't have much money. You say, well, my money won't make any difference. It'll make a difference in your life. Because you're saying to God, I worship you. And I testify that Jesus is my Lord and my King. I started with $9 a week. That's, that, was, that was my tithe, $9 a week. So said, you weren't making no money. Yeah, $9 a week. You can figu- figure that out. That was in 1962, of course. But I was so glad to bring that $9 into the church so God could use it, and he did. So stewardship, I, I think, I like to say stewardship is from our own strength. Excuse me. Fundraising is f- from our own strength. And stewardship is from God's strength. Stewardship is found in 1 Corinthians 4.2. We find instructions there. Moreover, it is required in stewards. A steward is a person that's taking care of something for somebody else. You put money in the bank. You make that bank a steward of your money. Don't you want them to be faithful? You go to get your money and say, well, who are you? You want it to be safe. <laughs> it is requ- It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That's stewardship. Whatever God has blessed you with, be faithful with it. Even as you spend it, be faithful with it. I have a list of things. is actually the second part of the book. And that was the first chapter of the second part, stewardship and fundraising. I go to number two. We must realize if we're going to tithe, not if we're going to tithe, when we tithe, even if we don't tithe, we have to understand the tithe is holy. I don't know if we understand holiness or what the holy is. I'm trying to try to explain it in a few little stories. You remember um, Indiana Jones searching for the Ark of the Covenant? Well, in the first show, I didn't see the other ones. When they found it, They found the ark, which was a box with some holy things in it. And they depicted it as having power coming from it. And the the skin and the flesh was peeling off their faces. They did a good job with demonstrating the power coming off of the ark of God. The ark was the holiest thing that Israel had. And we're going to talk about that in just, just a little while. But to understand holy, holy means to be set aside for a particular purpose, for God's purpose, for for whatever he has designed for it. Holy is the time. Um, I learned as an altar boy, we had some holy places in the church where I couldn't go unless I was dressed correctly and stuff like that. And I learned about holiness. you don't touch that, you don't touch that. I remember my mama and your mama too. They had some holy things, like some dishes. They had a d- set of dishes that you could not touch. We're going to use that for when company comes. <laughs> company never came. At one point in history, uh, when they built houses, they had a formal living room. I don't th- think they make them anymore or more. But they used to have a formal living room built into this house with a nice table, beautiful chairs. It was nice, but nobody, nobody was allowed to go in there. There was no purpose for it. It, w- it was set aside for one purpose. Well, this never happened. Dishes, dining room. And when Boudreaux was on his deathbed, he was <laughs> You know where I'm going with this, huh? How many's heard this before? Ain't no use to tell it then. But I'd like to hear it again. Yeah. <laughs> he was on his deathbed and Clotilde, his wife, you know, noticed all the people that were gathering. He was almost dead, they were gathering for the wake and the funeral. And she said, I'm going to have to do something to feed all these people. So she put a big pot of gumbo on the stove and started cooking that gumbo. And Boudreaux smelled that. He said, Clotilde, one thing I request. Could I have one little cup of that gumbo? She said, well, Boudreaux, you can't have that. Why? That's for the funeral. It was set apart for a certain purpose. Some of them are getting it, huh? My mom used to make those famous fruitcakes that I love, but you couldn't have any until Christmas Day after dinner. The Ark of God, we find in 1 Samuel chapter 4. A little episode. This, let me... 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 3 to 4. We're going to read. What happened is Israel was getting beat up by the Philistines. They were losing their battles and they're getting all bloody and dead and all that kind of stuff. Say, so what are we going to do? So they brought it to the elders and they, they made a decision. That's what we see. And when the people were come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Why did we lose the battle? Let us go and get the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of the enemies. And the, and the people said, sent to Shiloh that they might bring from hence the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwelleth between the cherubims. And the two sons of Eli were there to protect it. So he said, we got to do something, and we know the power of the uh, Ark of the Covenant, so we'll bring it down to oppose the Philistines and that should do the job right there it's a holy thing and what I want to say today about holy things is that the tithe is holy was it okay that they bring the um, holy thing out to battle it proved to be the answer was no and it scared the Philistines for a while when they brought the ark into the camp of the Israel, Israeli army, they saw it and there was a great shout of victory and it scared everybody around there. They, it scared the Philistines. and the Philistine says, "What's happened?" And they sent spies and found out what had happened, the Ark of the Covenant and they say, "Oh my goodness, the Ark of the Covenant." We can't withstand that. So what are we going to do? And they decided they would fight like men and chance it. Then in verse 9, it said, Be strong and act like men, O ye Philistines, that you may not be servants unto the Hebrews as they have been to you. Act yourselves like men and fight. And they did. And they fought so much so that they won and captured the ark and then brought the ark into the camp of the Philistines. And now we can have something. Now they brought it to their temple. And the next morning their God was flat on his face. The, The statue of Dagon. Interesting thing. In um, chapter 5, verse 6, And the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them at Ashdod, and he destroyed them and smote them with emirads, even Ashdod and the coast coast thereof. What happened is they began to die like a plague was in the camp why was it you think the holy thing was there and there was rules and regulations about the holy thing you couldn't touch it when somebody would touch it even to balance it they, they would die when it was in the temple no one could go into the ark except the priest the high priest that had special cleansing all that week before You couldn't go near it. That's why I say uh, the the producers of the film did a good job in depicting that. So now the Philistines has has the ark, the holy thing, in their possession, and people start dying. And the ones that didn't die got emroids. What's emroids? That's what they make preparation H for. And they start suffering. And they were supposed to fight the Israelis the next day. They Most probably most of them calling in sick. <laughs> I can't fight in this condition. So they elected to give the ark to another one of their cities. Let's give it to them and see what happens. People start dying, got all got hemorrhoids. They did that a couple of times. Said, what are we going to do with this thing? And finally decided, we better bring this thing back to Israel. <laughs> because we can't stand it to have it in our camp when they found out what it was doing see the lesson it goes parallel with what we're saying tonight the tithe is holy unto the lord leviticus where 2730 the tithe belongs to the lord it's holy unto the to the lord there's a purpose for it and the purpose is is in the church when the tithe is brought to the church and given to the leadership there And the leadership then makes decisions about the tithe, where it should go, what what they're trying to do for the Lord. That's why the pastor has to have a vision to use the tithe correctly. Some people say, well, I don't trust the pastor with my tithe. Then go find one you do trust. Because you have to give it in faith. And you know what? If you deliver the tithe, no matter what the pastor does with it, if you brought it in faith, you get the blessing of it. You get all the blessings that are named in Malachi, the third chapter. For you and your household, I claim the blessings of the tithe. I like to pray like that. We're tithers. And that means something, that God is looking out for me and my children, and my posterity on down the line. But they finally gave in in chapter 6. They said, if we send it away, send away the ark of God to Israel, in verse 3 of chapter 6, send it not empty, but in any wise return him a trespass offering then you shall be healed the, the lead, one of the, the lords of the philistines told him this you have to send it back get it out of the country and send a trespass offering an apology what shall we send in verse 4 then said they what shall we trespass what shall be the trespass offering when we shall return it they answered five golden emrods You're trying to rub it in, right? (laughs) And five golden mice representing your leadership. They were getting humiliated according to the number of lords of the Philistines. For one plague was on you all and your lords. Wherefore you shall make impressions of your emeralds and images of your mice that more of the land, and you shall give glory unto the God of Israel. Now, they didn't want to convert to Judaism, Jew- but they was in a bind. Don't wait till you get in a bind to bring the tithe. It's never too late, though. The tithe is so important. And they learned the lesson of having the holy thing in their household. The Philistines made believers out of them. So much so that they wanted to return the ark to Israel. So much so that they took the humiliation and sent an apology and an offering. God knows how to humble people, huh? So the tithe is holy. What I'm saying, we need to keep it holy. Romans eleven sixteen. This is a quote in the New Testament about the tithe in the Old Testament. He uses it for an illustration. Paul says, if the first fruit, he was trying to prove something else about Israel being uh, part of the vine. But he uses the example of the first fruit or the tithe. He says, if the first fruit is holy, then the whole lump is also holy. He was talking about Israel as a people, but it's a, it was a known thing. It, it was the first fruit is holy; it had to remain holy. We will see a little bit more about that in a little while. Proverbs thirteen eleven was quoted by Goma Powell in the Mayberry Show years ago. Every once in a while, they would talk. He talked about ill gotten gains. That comes straight from the Bible. He said his mama would. would, Ill-gotten gains is no good. That's what the scripture says. For if. Wealth gotten by vanity. Shall be. Diminished. But he that. Gathereth by labor. Shall increase. Ill-gotten gains. And I made a statement here. At Family Life years ago. Because a lot of people get involved in the lottery and the jackpots trying to win that big thing. I believe it's against God's will, against the 10th commandment of God to to enter into um, raffles and gambling and stuff like that. And you can believe what you want. But the scripture says in chapter, uh, the 10th commandment, Thou shalt not covet your neighbor's goods. There is something that happens when I start coveting and I want things that don't belong to me. And I want them so strongly, I'll put my money up to have a chance to win some of that money that doesn't belong to me. Yeah, Would you say, Brother Francis, it's not much money, I'm I'm buy a ticket. Yeah, you buy a ticket this week and next week and next week. They call it a tax on the poor. And there's many documentaries I've seen. What happens to people after they win the lottery? Their life is ruined. So it's a no-win thing. Do not covet your neighbor's goods. Now, if you go after the lottery, God bless you. The way he wants you to be blessed, but I had a, um, I used to proclaim it. And I still do. Todd, Todd can make up his mind, but I'm doing it as Pope Francis. <laughs> I'm gonna get some mileage out of this. <laughs> I had made an announcement: if you go and win the lottery. Please do not bring the tithe to this church. We won't accept it. Why? It's ill-gotten gains. And um, say that's pretty ugly. I had a buddy, uh, he was a pastor here in town. And one of his sons was a pastor in a small town around Lafayette. And his son had made the same proclamation I did. If you win the lottery, don't bring the money. Well, one of his deacons won the lottery. And he brought his money to the church. And they had to make a decision. What are we going to do? Are we going to accept this, whatever, I don't know what the amount it was. And the board of the church voted, yes, we are going to accept the gift that he brings. And we're going to fire the pastor. <laughs> So that's what they probably did. Of course, we don't vote in this church, so you can't fire me. You can't fire the Pope, huh? But I made that proclamation because I didn't want to taint the tithe, because it's holy unto the Lord. We have instructions in the scripture what to do, so just do it. It's the best lottery you'll ever have tithing, because all your needs will be met, and the Father will be looking out for you, the Holy Spirit moving, and the angel of the Lord encamping about you. They'll be watching your back when you're sleeping. And you, what about your children? I want my posterity to be blessed even through the tithing that I I do. How about you? And that's a good way to pray. Lord, we're tithers. And we claim all the blessings of the tithe. So we keep it holy as much as we can. One lady had come to me one day. She was in the church. She was a nice... Uh, She was a single mom, and she was a producer. She was a good worker, and she did well. But she got caught up in gambling, her and her friends, and was going to the casino. And she would be drawn to certain machines, and they'd put money in that machine and win money. So her friends saw that, and they would call her up, say, let's go to the casino. And they wanted her to go because she was the one that had the gift being drawn to the money machines. And she was doing pretty good. And um, one day she came up. I hadn't seen her for a while, but after a while she came to church and she had a check to give me. She said, Brother Francis, I have this check, but I didn't put it in the offering. I, I, I wanted to talk to you first. So said, it's from the, your casino winnings? She said, yeah. I said, well, I got to stick to my profession. You know what I've preached about it. She said, yeah, I know. That's why I didn't put it in. But um, what am I going to do with it? I said, I don't know. I never asked that question. I... Guess guess um, she said, well, I'll just give it to the poor. I said, oh, okay, that'd be a good thing. But I didn't know how to instruct her. After that, she began to get sick. She got in a condition where the doctors, again, didn't know what to do for her. She was very sick. And she came to church and asked for the elders to pray for her. They did. The Lord healed her. And she's well today and that's been many years ago. But the the Lord wasn't mad at her or anything else. But when she came and repented and asked for the elders to pray for her, the Lord restored her to her health. It's not the end of the story. But why do we want to go through all that? And going to the casino is a is a common thing. I've gone with the line dancing class. I refuse to gamble, of course. We go to a special pavilion where they provide a band and uh, food. And it doesn't cost anything, and we just have a little dance party, a uh, line dance party. But I, I wondered as I looked around and saw those people feeding those slots And I looked at the people, what condition they were in that I could ascertain. You can't do anything but feel compassion for them. So that's the story of the gambling lady, and she gave me permission to talk about it. I talk about it in the book, her lesson. So the tithe is holy. Keep it holy. Holy. Um Two pastors talking about people in their church that um how many people in your church tithe one pastor say all of them all of them all all the people in your church tithe a hundred percent. How do you get them to do that? He said well um, i don't do it um but a number of them tithe willingly, and the rest tithe unwillingly. But they're not tithing to the Lord. They're tithing to the doctor, the drug company, the uh, which collision center. You see, if the tithe belongs to the Lord, and it is, that's why it's holy. You can't mess with it. See, well, I'm I'm going to keep my tithe. Fine. You'd be like the Philistines with the Ark of God running around giving them emeralds. Preparation H business is picking up. (laughs) Why don't we want to be free and bring the tithe Release the burden of it and go our way. The storehouse is a right house. And all these things tie in, they're attached to one another. A famous illusion that people have sometimes is that I'm not going to, well, I'm going to tithe, but I'm not going to bring it to the Lord. and I'm not going to bring it to the local church. I'm going to become Lord over my own tithe. So they take their tithe, they put it in the bank, or they may form a special account where they put their tithe every month or every week, and they have it in the bank. So he said, I'm tithing. I give this to the Lord, but I'm not giving it to the church. Who's going to give it to, you, to? Well, I'll see people that need it, like um, the people on TV, the evangelists, the, the poor people that they're raising money for, or... Um, i find places to give it now you have violated something in ephesians 4:11 the bible announces the gifts to the church the apostles prophets um, evangelists pastors and teachers and and this is a gifting to the church and the tithe is supposed to be brought under the leadership of, of these fivefold ministers but when you don't do that and you start giving it out yourself, you become one of the fivefold ministers. You're not really. but you, you, you serve authority as one of them, and who crown you, Pope Francis? Who crowned you? pastor. Who crowned you? that you can take the tithe and spend it like you want. See, you miss a whole blessing. You never did bring it to the Lord. Therefore, you don't qualify for the open windows, for the blessings pouring out, for Him um, rebuking the devour for you. So don't make that mistake. The storehouse is the right house. To be Lord over my tithe is an illusion. So we locate a good ministry, a ministry where you can bring your children, you trust, and tithe there. Another thing that happens, sometimes people break off from the church, they get tired of what they call organized religion, and they start a home group, which is fine. I believe in home groups. I like home groups. But the first question I have to that home group facilitator is, uh, where do y'all tithe? How do you tithe? Do you have a Ephesians 4:11 minister in that group that receives the tithes and dis disperses them as unto the Lord? And they don't want to talk about that, so they pick up the uh, think, well, we don't tithe. We don't believe in tithing. That's, tithing is of the Old Testament. Tithing is not of today. So they'll find some reasoning not to tithe. So you can carry that question. Where do you tithe? But I'm I'm not going to go to church, so I don't have to tithe. No. Where are you going to go? You're still burdened with the responsibility of bringing the tithe into the storehouse. And some of these home groups have Wrongly led their members, they don't have to tithe, so they miss all the blessings again. In the Bible, we have several occasions. seven twenty, seven forty. What time we get out? Uh, eight, we doing okay. What was I talking about? We have several characters in the Bible that were not appointed to um, make sacrifices unto the Lord. Sometimes the king would do this, get tired of waiting on the prophet or or the preacher to offer sacrifice. uh, The priest, actually, to offer sacrifices unto the Lord. And some of them, like Uzziah, which was he was a good king. He did everything the Lord wanted he got aggravated Aggravated one day. I can't talk, huh? And he couldn't wait anymore, so he started offering sacrifices unto the Lord as a priest. The king cannot do that. Only a priest can do that. So he got into trouble. Everyone that did it got into trouble with the Lord. And that's what happens when we try to handle our own tithe and distribute distribute it as a pastor, we get in trouble because that's not our anointing. So you can't hold your tithe. You can if you want to, but you're going to pay the price for it. Next is the grace and law issue. I just mentioned that. People said the, uh, the tithe is of the law. It's not of grace. It's of the Old Testament, not the New Testament. We don't have to tie. I have a lot of arguments with that, but the first one and the main one is Galatians 3.17. Is it law or grace? And I say that the covenant, which was confirmed before of God in Christ, The law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. The promise, the grace of the promise was to Abraham. Abraham met Melchizedek when he was returning from the slaughter of the five kings, five nations. And um, he took a tenth of everything he had collected or one, gold and silver and riches, he took 10% and presented to Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the appearance of Jesus long before he was born in Bethlehem. Melchizedek was a manifestation of Jesus before Jesus was born on the earth. And Abraham met him. Abraham was called of God. Abraham believed God. And he met Melchizedek. He knew who he was. But something else he knew. He knew to bring the tithe to him. See, that's who we bring the tithe to. We bring the tithe to Jesus. Because this is his church. It has churches all over the place. We had lunch with a bunch of pastors in town today. And um, different names of churches. They're all Jesus' church if they're preaching the gospel. But Abraham knew that. We don't know why. It's not recorded how he knew it, but he knew it. He brought the tithe to Melchizedek and Melchizedek received, it, received him, brought out bread and wine and they had covenant feasts. Okay, mark that time. Abraham... Tithe to Melchizedek. Now 430 years later, a lot had happened. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the 12 sons of Israel, the settlement, settling of uh, Israel coming out of Egypt, taken to the promised land. And when they went into the promised land, the first thing that happened, Moses had to go up on the mountain and receive what? the Ten Commandments, it's known as the law. Before that, they had no law. What did they have? Promise. The promises of God. And see, when did Abraham tithe? 430 years before the law. And people to say, well, tithing is of the law. No, tithing was here 430 years before the law came. So there's no question about that. It's still of grace. How do you know it's still of grace? Because the promises are so real. When you tithe and, and read the promises, and you start seeing the promises come that you didn't plan and that you didn't put together, and you say, while all this good stuff is happening to us, God's been working in your behalf it's still of grace it's still of promise it's not of law law says you do that you get this and this is different by faith we bring the tithe and by faith we continue to walk with god and watch for the blessings to follow us okay the exactness of god we can't spend much time on any of this now um Try to speed it up, but it it really um, blessed me to see this in the scripture. The uh, some of the ordinances for Israel, that was explained to them. When you go into the promised land, you plant your crops and and enjoy the fruit thereof for six years no longer than six years. And on the seventh year, you don't plan anything. You, you let the land rest. And then the eighth year coming up, oh, sh- they say, what are we going to do for food if you, we don't plan that seventh year? And the answer was this, I'm going to make the land produce on the sixth year threefold. Not only what it used to produce, two times more. Where you have the seventh year, when you don't plant, you have the seventh year off. The land is resting. The land must have its rest, it was explained to him. So during the seventh year, no work, no plowing, no harvesting. But on the eighth year, we started planting again, where we're going to get the seed. All oh, the sixth year is going to pr- produce enough to last you the seventh year, and give you enough seed to plant and give you enough food to eat through the eighth year until the fall comes and you get your crops in. But well, that would be a miracle. How, how would the crops know to do that? But it, it did, it did happen. That was called the Sabbath of the land. And every um, seven terms of that was 49 years. And the 50th year would be the Jubilee where everything was, was settled. All deaths were settled. Everybody was set free. It's a tremendous civilization that God planned. And you know, for 490 years, they failed to do that. They didn't trust the Lord. They didn't trust his plan. And they did not let the land rest. So the Lord sent his prophet unto them. says, you're going to be captured. I'm going to put you under the, under the leadership of a heathen nation as Babylon. And you're going to stay there for 70 years. Why 70 years? because it took 70 years of these nine-year segments to fulfill 70 years. And uh, it, has, it, it took 490 years to reach the 70-year stay in Babylon. And you know, when the, the 70 years was up, the prophet, prophets woke up and said, we need to go back to the promised land. The king says, you can go now. All because they had paid the 70 years. So God doesn't forget. He remembers good. Except one area. He doesn't remember our sins. Not that he forgot them, but he chooses to. My wife liked to say, God doesn't have amnesia. It's not because he don't he didn't it's not because he forgot your sins. It's because he chose not to remember them anymore. That's when we forgive somebody, we forgive what they done, we forget what they did to us. We don't bring it up again. Just like God. So that's the exactness of God. We don't have enough time for any more of this, but um, let me mention shortly. Consider the blessings and the curses. Um, One of the things, one of the promises of the tithe that we'll be a blessed nation. And if... I hate to read this scripture... uh, But in Malachi three ten, verse nine. Yeah, let me let me read verse eight. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, where when have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You, you are cursed with a curse. I don't like to read that. You are cursed with a curse. Did God put a curse on you? I don't think so. But it comes with a refusal to obey God's issue of the tithe. You're cursed with a curse. you have, For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And he gives a solution, bringing all the tithes into the storehouse. And we read all that last Sunday. To understand the curse just a little better, when Jesus and the disciples were going down the road and they came to this fig tree that didn't have any figs on it, Jesus spoke to it and said, you're not going to produce anymore. He actually cursed it. That's a curse. That's a plain view of a curse. He spoke to the tree. And the next day when they were passing by, one of the guys said, Lord, Look at the tree that you cursed yesterday, it's dried up from the roots. It's withered away over a night. Over one night. Say, yeah, that's how it works. A curse is a terrible thing. We're not cursed. We're removed from the curse. How how that does that happen? With the blessings of God, we have the other story about King Balak, hired Balaam. He hired. It was kind of like a a witch doctor, a glorified priest in his own rights, and his business was cursing people, cursing nations, cursing put cursings on anybody. And uh, the king of Moab hired him to come and place a curse on Israel because Israel was camping down in the valley. He could see them, and he was fearful of them because Israel had a powerful reputation. They could whip any nation. Said, we're going to get them before they get us. So he hired Balaam, the priest, to come and curse them. And there's a long story there. You can read it in the book. And um, he tried once, twice, and three times to curse Israel. And finally, Balaam said, I've been telling you this. I cannot curse him. I can't curse somebody that's been blessed. It's a tremendous story. In fact, he can't, He was the one that said, God is not a man that he should lie. This was an old wicked priest from out of nowhere but he knew when he faced God he couldn't do anything and if you're blessed then nobody can curse you have you ever been cursed have you ever had a a witch or somebody uh, somebody put a curse on you you may not even know because they don't want you to know they just want to put the curse on you. I don't believe in curses. I believe in curses. I believe that they're real. But I don't believe one can take on me. Why? The blessings of God in my life. And that's what we have to know. I'm blessed like Israel now. Now, they, he couldn't curse Israel. He couldn't do anything to them. But after a while, something came to the king of Moab. I can't curse him, but maybe I can get him to curse himself. See, that's the only person that can curse you is yourself. So they sent the Moab ladies in. And they were commanded not to fool with women of other nations. And they committed adultery with the Moab ladies that were sent in, and they brought a curse upon themselves. See, nobody can curse you if you're blessed by God. So claim that along with the blessings of the uh, tithe, when you bring the tithe. That's part of your inheritance. We're going to stop there. The only thing left to this message is what, what am I going to do? Well, I make the decision to try God? To, to challenge God on His promise? Because He says, bring the tithe into the storehouse where they may be meeting be my house and test me or prove me, thus saith the Lord, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour you out blessing. He he challenges us to challenge him. And as you do that, remember this. It is wrong to say in your heart that my power and strength of my own hand has obtained my wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he has promised unto your fathers. as Deuteronomy eight seventeen and 18. And another one, Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of thine increase. That's the tithing. So shall thy borns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. God has all kind of blessings for us. And the more sure way I know is to present the tithe. It's worked in my life. It's been a blessing in my life. I claim the promises of Abraham coming down through Jesus Christ unto me as part of my inheritance and, But not only for me, for my children on down the line. It's a comfort to claim that for your family. Is that right? I didn't win it at the casino. I didn't win it through the lottery. I just tithe and see what God will do. Billy Graham says, nothing happens without a decision. Nothing happens without a decision. You can study it all you want. You can think about it all you want. But if you don't make a decision, nothing will happen. So that's all you got to do now. Make a decision. Not to Brother Todd. Not to me. Not to this church. You need to make a decision before God. This church is only a, a receptacle and Brother Todd is only a servant. To, uh, he's anointed to do this. You can tithe to this church or tithe wherever you go to church. But a decision, Billy Graham said that that's why we call our, news, uh, our uh, magazine Decision Magazine because he was always asking for a decision. Who will decide to serve Christ? Who will decide to give your life to the leadership of Jesus? Who will decide to tie